Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Do you appreciate our worship team? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Grab your seat. The title of my talk today is An Unlikely Leader. It's the start of a series in our church and I had, I never had God give me a dream. Most of the time God has given me a dream. It was correctional of nature to me, to be honest. But I'd never had a dream that I was to preach a certain series in our church. But I felt like I had a dream a while ago, a couple of months ago, that I was to preach on leadership because of the great need of leadership. Uh, God doesn't choose you because you're good looking, though you might be good looking. And I think we have an exceptionally good looking church. God doesn't choose you because you're tall. God doesn't choose you because your IQ doesn't choose you because your EQ doesn't choose you because of where you were born from. Actually, as you look through the Scriptures, you find very quickly that a lot of the times that God chooses people, they wouldn't have chosen themselves. And even when God chooses them, they don't even want to be chosen. They don't want the leadership. They don't want to speak up about it, but He calls them to it anyway. It's interesting if you look through the pages of Scripture, there is Gideon and he's hiding and there is Jeremiah and he's young and there is David and he's the youngest and he's the looked down on one. He's the least qualified. He's the least trained and he becomes the leader. There is Joseph and his brothers literally hate him and they sell him into slavery and he's, and he's got a prison record and and he literally has been accused of rape. And you literally look through the life, you're like, I wouldn't choose that guy to be a leader. How about you? You, th- you see Timothy and Timothy's young. He's actually timid and he deals with some health issues. And Paul's continually telling him, be bold, Timothy. And then there's uh, the Apostle Paul. I think he's the most unlikely leader. You write two thirds of the New Testament and God's up in heaven. He's going, who should I choose to write the New Testament? Oh, this guy hates Christians. Let's choose this guy. He hates Christians more than anyone. And God's like, by the way, buddy, you're going to become this annoying, passionate Jesus follower. And some of you here today, like you used to hate Jesus. You used to hate Jesus people. I just want to tell some of you, you're going to become one of those annoying (laughs) Jesus followers. Now, let me just say this. Don't have it a goal to be annoying. You ever met someone like, I don't care what people think and they care more than anyone else what people think. I don't believe your goal should be obnoxious. I do think you need wisdom. I do think you need tact. But I think there is a great need for leaders. I think there is a great need in families for leadership. I think there is a great need in business. I think there is a great need in government. I think there is a great need for for young people to lead. I think there is a great need, but it's not to seek some position or power or popularity or perks. It's not to seek some salary. Most leaders are chosen because they see a great need. 
Most leaders are chosen because they have a heart that says, God, maybe you wouldn't choose me, but I'm asking you to send me because I, I feel the weight and the burden of it. And most of the time I have found that if you get around anyone with a great leadership gift, it's often because God has given them a great passion. See, you cannot be great without a great commitment. Let me say that again. You cannot be great without a great commitment. Do you know that many times, man, how many want to be great? Please say yes. And and don't be like, "I, I don't want to be great. I just want to be average. You came from greatness. You were made by greatness. So if greatness made you, greatness is in you. Therefore, there is a desire to be great, but it's most of the time not the way you think it is. Let me me say that again. and, and, And I think I'm quoting Eric Thomas. Greatness made you. Therefore, greatness is in you. Therefore, that's why sometimes we have a frustration within ourselves that we are not who we could be. But what if you kept becoming who you could become? And what if you kept growing and didn't get stagnant? And and what if you literally did say, man, I don't wanna show up to certain environments, but I know I need to show up to certain environments because it's the best thing I do is show up to those environments. There's not, a lead, there's not a need in our hour for selfish leaders. There's not a need in our hour for, for position hungry leaders. But there is a great need. In Esther chapter one, we jump into a text of Scripture where she is the most unlikely leader. She is ridiculously unlikely. She is an orphan child. Her mum and dad are dead. She lives in a land that is not her land. She is from a Jewish heritage and she lives literally in, in the Persian kingdom and the Persian kingdom literally spans from, from India all the way over to edges of Africa. It is one of the greatest kingdoms in the world. And this one king, King Xerxes, he decides to show off his, his wealth and his popularity. And he just begins to say, hey, let's have a party. And he doesn't say, come over tonight. He literally says, we're about to have a party for the next 180 days. That's a long party. I don't know. Some of you just looked at me like, yeah, that's normal. No. Have you ever been to a wedding that's 180 days? No, it starts at seven and by 1 p.m. they say, get out of here. This costs us too much money. And they have this party for 180 days. And then at the end of the 180 days, he says, that's not long enough. Let's do it for seven more days. And during this party, He has this request, he's been drinking too much and he says, hey wife, come over here. I wanna show you off to everyone. I wanna show everyone how beautiful you are. And she says, no, you're the king of Persia and you don't handle people saying no to you very well. She literally gets banished. Bye-bye, don't see her anymore. And so then the wise advisors that he has around him Say, hey, we'll find you another queen. Okay, how? Well, have you heard of a beauty pageant? He's like, yes, we're gonna do one for you. He says, that sounds like a good idea. Literally gets the Victoria's Secret models of the day. The chicks on Vogue and 
I don't know, Calvin Klein, whatever. Cosmo, I don't know. Finds them all and gathers them. And they don't just do a beauty contest. They literally spend the night with him and whoever he's most impressed with becomes the queen. And there's a Jewish girl who is exceptionally beautiful and she pleases him the most. And then he says, you will be my queen. She is promoted and she's got shoes. She's got bags, ladies. She's got dresses. She's got facials, dyed hair, lipstick everywhere. Extensions. Sometimes you're like, wow, that's a long extension. She's got long extensions. All kinds of things are going on. And um, have you ever been, ladies, to one of those massage places that you go to a massage and you basically just pamper yourself for a day? That was her life. Anyone want that? She basically can go to Massage Envy whenever she wants. She doesn't have a one month membership every day. And if she wants more, she gets more. Have you ever had a massage and there's 10 minutes to go and you're like, oh my gosh, come on. If you just stay for eight more hours, I'll be fine. That's her life. She has privilege, she has power, she has position, she has stuff going on. And then there's a problem. Don't you hate problems? Like, don't problems just show up? Like, when are problems gonna end? They're not. You ever hear that song, Imagine All the People? Imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. Everyone living for today, what's his name? John Lennon, I said his name was Elton John last service. I had five people walk up to me, pastor. I was like, I didn't think it was that important. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Ah, imagine there's no countries, isn't it? It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. It's so cute, but it's full of crap. It will never be like that until heaven. Because religion does matter, morality does matter, leadership does matter, and there are always problems in every culture. And we can stick our head in the clouds and say, I'm just avoiding it all. Or we can stick our head in the dirt and say, there's no use trying. Or we can actually somehow sit in the middle there and say, God, what do you wanna use my life for? And that at the end of the day is leadership. And Esther has a uncle, an Mordecai, and he is talented at rubbing people the wrong way. And he rubs the wrong person the wrong way, who is literally the second most powerful man in all of Persia. And when this man, Haman, gets mad at Mordecai, he doesn't just want to kill him. He literally wants to take down his entire race. And they issue a decree and the Bible says this, Esther chapter three, verse eight, then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people, someone say a certain people. 
dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people and they do not obey the King's law. It is not in the King's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the King, let a decree be issued to destroy them. Haven't you noticed that powerful people want more power and more control? says this, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued, destroy them and I'll give them 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrations. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamaditha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the Bible says this in chapter four, verse one, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes He put on sackcloth and ashes and he went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. What I find interesting about that text is that Mordecai is burdened. Mordecai feels the weight of what's happening. The Jewish people are literally, they have nine months or so to literally live. There is a edict that wherever they are in Persia, not just they will die, but if you kill that Jewish person, you get his wealth, you get his land. So everyone else is like, okay, this is kind of like economic empowerment. I literally can get wealthier. My economic status can change and all I've got to do is take down some people who are non-Persians. And it is a desperate situation and Mordecai is crying and he's fasting and he's praying. But here's what I want you to feel, church, this is that she tries to clothe him in something different. Take off your sackcloth, take off your ashes, feel better, it's okay. And he continues to feel the moment. Great leadership carries the pain of the problem. Great leadership carries the pain of the problem. Great leadership carries the the burden of the heart. I believe that great leadership feels the weight of the responsibility and doesn't just go on to the next quote on social media. Doesn't just go to the next quote. Doesn't just sanitize it and, and deaden the senses by watching another episode in a run of Netflix. No, it has to actually feel the weight. And for your life to have the value and the heart that God wants it to, do you know that you sometimes have to sit in some pain and actually feel it and go, man, if no one else is gonna do it, I'm gonna do something about it. If no one else is going to feel this, I'm going to feel this. I can't just move on. I can't just play video games and deaden my senses. I can't just watch hours of TV. I actually have to do something. And this is Mordecai. He's like, no, don't take away the pain. Let me feel the pain. Let me feel the moment. Let me feel that my people... God's children, that the law of the land has said they are going to die. 
And it's this heavy weightiness. And I pray in this church that, I pray that most of the time you come and this church encourages you and inspires you. But I pray sometimes you leave just bothered. Not in a weird way, in a good way. Because if you're never bothered by anything, you won't have any fire. You won't have any passion. If you're never bothered by anything, it will never move you to change anything. Great leadership carries the pain of the problem. One of the great problems of our highly entertained culture is our proclivity to go from one pleasurable activity to the next pleasurable activity. And in the meantime, deaden your senses and your reasoning and your discernment to the greatest issues of our time. You know, one of the things I've heard over the years, I was talking to one of the guys who's running for a Senate seat in in um, our church and do you know that one of the things he said to me and it's so true that many times people never want to talk about politics or talk about religion why is that because it's just easier it's just easier because then you'd have to dive deep then you'd have to feel things then you'd have to move then you'd have to act then you'd have to raise your voice. Do you understand that? That sometimes we avoid hard, but hard is the path that you and I have to walk on sometimes. Pleasure is good and popularity is okay. But if I never feel anything, I won't act. I was in a prayer meeting recently. Actually, I was around some leaders and, and, and uh, one of our mentors, Michael Murphy, was here and he prophesied over Fernando. And as he was prophesying over Fernando, he said, I see you going across America to this church and that church and bringing transform there. As he said that, I literally felt in my heart this like ache, this burden. I was just like, ah, why? Because if you don't feel nothing, You'll do nothing. If you don't feel anything, you'll do nothing. Because how many know Esther? Esther, Esther's the queen of Persia. Esther's got all the stuff. And it would be so easy to just sit in pleasure instead of be awakened to pain. It would be so easy for Esther to sit in pleasure, but she has to be awakened to her people's pain. Leadership is acknowledging the facts while never losing faith. And I I, I like Mordecai and I like Esther because they hear bad news. Someone say bad news. They hear bad news but then they go to work on it. They fast, the Bible says they pray, but they don't just fast and they don't just pray. I'm a prayer guy, I believe in prayer. I believe we're a praying church. I believe in 5am club. I believe in getting up early. I believe in staying up late. I believe it. there's a time to pray, but there's a time to cut the prayer meeting and go, what is God requiring of us? We actually must be a prayer church and a leadership church. 
Some churches get stuck in the prayer meeting and they feel like the most valuable thing I could ever do is pray. No, the most valuable thing you could ever do is hear. Because it's out of hearing do we respond and then do we act and then do we lead. Hear that again. It's so important that you pray. Prayer is where you get vision. Prayer is where you sustain vision. But let me tell you, leadership is the action that comes from the place of hearing God's voice. Mordecai says to Esther, you need to talk to the king for us. And hear me now, she could die. She could literally die. If he doesn't ask for her to walk into his palace, if he doesn't, if he doesn't say, listen, Esther, come forward, she literally, his, his, his swordsmen are literally instructed, if I do not extend my scepter towards anyone walking into my palace, cut them down. Doesn't matter if it's the queen, doesn't matter who it is. And so she is literally like, what am I gonna do? Do I hang on to comfort in my handbags? Do I go to the massage place again? Do I just live at Massage Envy? Or do I step out? Do I go? In an age and a time where everyone has told you the greatest thing you can do is be safe. It's not the greatest thing you could do. If she's safe, they die. If, she, if she's safe, if she only cares for her, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jews are annihilated of the planet under legislation. Legislation? I thought God didn't care about politics. Esther was called to change legislation. Pastor, don't, call, don't, don't, don't talk about any kind of political thing in church. People leave your church, brother. <laughs> Esther was called to change legislation. Why? Because image bearers of God would die. Two and a half thousand years ago, it's around the time of when this is written. It's written around 460 BC to 480 BC in that time. Two and a half thousand years ago, do you think there was economic challenges? They didn't have electricity. You and I have, we have no idea what they, what it's like to live like that. I'm not, I just flick a switch. Oh, is it? I, I'll say to my wife, babe, is it? Feels like it's 69 degrees in here. I think we need to bump it up to 71 because I'm a little chilly. It's 74 degrees in here, honey. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sweat. Turn it down. And we go to our little... Ah, oh, now it's better. Most of these people, 
if you gave them your garage, they thought they won the lottery. Most of these people, there was slavery, there was sex slavery, there was lack of education. There was, there was so many different types of issues. There was, I mean, talk about prison reform. You literally just, you're in the worst place imaginable. It's just ridiculous. And every social issue of our day is multiplied five times worse then. What I found is the danger for many of us is this, in the many calls and yells for social change and social justice and all these types of things, I do wonder to myself, are you hearing the most important cry? Are you hearing the most important cry? Because how many know that issues are important? Do you know in this church, if I threw on a cat video of cats dying and underfed and dog video, and I'd be like, because you're a human and you have a heart and you have compassion. And I'm like, hey, I'd show you seven minutes of cats and dogs just like undertreated, malnourished. And you're literally like, pastor, what can I do? I'm like, we're gonna receive an offering. We're going to save the cats and dogs. And I have a dog. And I might keep him. If he's good. He's going to prove himself. He's not saved by grace. He's saved by works. You stay in my house by works. I'm not that spiritual yet. But hear me now, she becomes a leader that saves her people because she is unwilling to turn a blind eye to the greatest problem of her day. And I have a question for you more than a statement for some of you. Is the question, sorry, is the issue you're most passionate about, is it on God's list? Is the issue you're most passionate about, is the issue that you've had stories and because we're emotional beings and we get told stories and stories and stories and we can be sold, to be honest, on almost anything. Is the issue that you're most passionate about, would it make Esther's list? Or would you be asking Esther to speak on another issue that is an important issue, but it's not the main issue? Oh, I hope you're getting this. Listen to what Isaiah 6 says. I'm running out of time, but I feel like I haven't landed the ship yet. Isaiah 6, Isaiah is a prophet. Someone say a prophet. Someone say he's a man of faith. And then the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne and the train of His throne and the train of His 
a robe filled the temple, attending Him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and they, with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of Heaven's army, the whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So see this now, He is having an encounter with God. He literally sees the holiness of God and the wonder of God. And you know what He does in that moment? He doesn't say what's wrong with the world. You know what all of a sudden He does do? He says, what's wrong with me? Because you cannot point out other people's problems unless you've dealt with your own. You can't fix the world unless you say, man, how is it in my house? How is it in my home? And the challenge of some of the many issues of the day is that they're pointing fingers at everyone else but they're never looking at themselves saying, where do I need to change? And they become their own saviours instead of looking to Jesus to save and Jesus to forgive. And then saying, Jesus, what's your biggest issue? Because He told us what His biggest issue is. He said, make disciples, make image bearers of me. And when you're an image bearer of Him, you carry His grace, you carry His love, you carry His mercy, but you carry His priorities. And you keep aligning yourself and you keep aligning yourself. And I am concerned when I, when I see movements that reject everything the Ten Commandments stands for. And somehow in the name, they use pretty language. You reject the Ten Commandments. You can lie, you can covet, you can murder, you can have whatever sex, whatever, with whoever, whenever. And you're like, you're breaking every one of the Ten Commandments and you're calling yourself righteous. Every one of them. The first four deal with who is God. They want God out of every functioning society, every place. They say, God, get out. But how many know you can't kick God out? You will kick God out and you will introduce something else in. And it will be a demonic spirit because mankind is made to worship. You shall not lie. God says you shall not lie. You can call yourself whatever you want to. No, you shall not lie. Break that one. We have whole legislation around that one. You can sleep with everyone. He says, you should, no, you shall not commit adultery. I think all of their money should be my money. He says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. I watch our culture and then I watch Christians get sucked into lesser issues. And I'm like, you're getting sucked into flowery language. You know what they called the legislation of the day when you could take down a Jew and kill him and get his land? You know what they called it? I'm making this bit up just so you know. They called it economic empowerment for you because you get their land and you benefit from slaying the image of God. 
you benefit from slaying the image of God? Two hundred eighteen senators voted on a bill in this country, verse two hundred fourteen, that you can slay a baby up to nine months. You know what they call it? Rights. Tricked by small issues. Tricked by economic empowerment. Deceived in the land. And I see pastors jumping into it. even tell you I got a text yesterday from a ministry friend that was bringing someone into his church and that man in his church to speak and that man approves the slang of the unborn to nine months and wants to teach everyone from kindergarten onwards to approve their own gender and I'm like that's who you bring in I didn't know if I should mention it, and I probably shouldn't have. But that bothers the crap out of me. That bothers the crap out of me. My God. I carry a burden. I don't know how else to say it, church. But this isn't one of those churches where anything goes. We hold the Word of God high and valuable. Take a seat for a second. I'm going to tell you a story. Esther didn't want to speak. Do you know sometimes I find myself on a Saturday night going, God, I don't want to say what you're putting on my heart to say. Five years ago or so, I was asked to speak at a youth event. And it was in Kearney, and it might have been seven years ago, eight years ago. I felt in the worship service, I was to share this story. And again, sometimes I share stories and I don't even want to share them. A lady comes up to me. She says, hey, I went to the youth event. Friday night and I was booked for an abortion the next day and as you spoke I didn't speak on morality I didn't speak on anything I spoke on God's purpose she said as as you spoke about God's purpose I changed my mind and I want to introduce you to her see her every time I see her I, I tear up beautiful blonde hair look and I just go that mad at her and then uh, so when someone doesn't like what I speak about I think of that little one she's beautiful 
want to tell you this. You know, the Apostle Paul hated the church, persecuted the church, and he became, watch this now, he became the grace preacher. Which means this, I don't care what you've done in our church. I don't care if you're high last night. I don't care if you're at the strip club last night. I don't care what you've done in our church. I want to tell you today, if, if you feel like you've gone so far and done some things, I want to tell you, you can personally have the greatest revelation of the grace of God than anyone here. You can actually understand grace better than anyone. You can dive into the love of God. The love of God heals the soul. The love of God forgives. The love of God restores. We need more people to say the love of God is for you. It heals you, it restores you. It breaks the chains that bind. It doesn't shame you, but it lifts you, it heals you. And I pray in this church that there is a healing balm in this house. Lord, for those who feel shame, let the healing power of Jesus be in this place to heal the soul the wound.